We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for a mid-August, late August, something in August, uh, edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, excited because for the first time in, I don't know, it feels like close to a month, uh, I'm recording a fresh episode with my better half, Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, John. I'm doing well when I forget that baseball exists, which honestly is pretty frequent right now. Uh, i got to tell you, it's been a very very quiet summer in terms of sports for me. And I don't really mind like I do, but I don't because it's been nice to take a break, especially since I saw this tweet from a Yankees account. And I was like, the Yankees are looking like the Knicks out there. And I'm thinking like, if the Yankees are looking like the Knicks, the Yankees would be look, <laughs> looking pretty freaking good right now. And they're just not. So uh, yeah, but we do have the Knicks to talk about and we have actual Knicks players playing basketball, but yeah, I mean, before we get into that, how are you? How are things? I'm good. Um, I'm good. I, I'm finishing up my my week away. Uh, last time we spoke, you were you were away for during the uh, Josh Hart uh, emergency live stream. You have lost some of your robust tan. I will yes. say. Yeah, I think you gave it to me. Was, a lot of that was lighting, but if it weren't, if it wasn't, please take it. I my dermatologist would probably prefer it on you than on me. My wife would probably prefer it on you. She's like, you don't wear enough sunscreen. Um, yeah, no, it's funny how sports is kind of cyclical. Like we're sitting here, it's mid-August, and it feels like all eyes are on the football teams who are still several weeks away from from kicking off for real, and like the baseball season's already over. And yeah, there is a lot of I think genuine, um, genuinely earned excitement about the Knicks that are that are playing in the middle of August. We're recording this, we should say. A little after 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, Team USA plays uh, later today. I'll be honest, and I, I will say, I, I not only do I not know what time they're playing, I don't even know who they're playing. I know they beat Greece yesterday, but I don't know anything about today. So today, which will be all obsolete be by the time people listen to this, yesterday, but it's yeah. uh, Germany, and okay. it's uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see more good Jalen Brunson um, to add to the good Jalen Brunson we've already seen, and the good RJ Barrett we've already seen. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot of 
uh, fresh Knicks takes. So it's weird. This episode is dropping in between two episodes that I recorded, one of which already ran, the episode with Yaron Weitzman, and one which is recording next week with a prominent NBA media person. Um, And both episodes featured kind of extensive conversations about Philly and the Joel Embiid thing. So I like, I don't have any fresh Embiid slash Philly takes at the moment. Um, and I'm just enjoying watching our guys play FIBA. I don't know what's, what's on your mind as it comes to the Knicks before we get to uh, a, uh, a fresh cap or no cap. Just how cool it is that like, the starting point guard of this team USA is Jalen Brunson and he's called captain America. And I, I, I don't know. It. I just, I like, love the nickname. It's, it's so awesome. good. It's so fitting. It's, but it just goes to show how he's viewed. And I'm really excited about the opportunity. I mean, look, the results are at the end of the day what matters, but just for him to be in such a prominent position as a Nick, and the Knicks are a really good team. It just there's something about it that gives me butterflies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I hope they obviously do well from a for so many different reasons. But it's just very cool to see that. And um, and Josh Hart, too, being out there as well. But Brunson being the focal point of both Team USA and the Knicks, it just feels like everything's starting to sort of go our way. But I don't want to say it too loud or else well, the sports gods will hear it. And that'll be that. I, I was about to say, see, they do need to... I was about to say, finish it off. They haven't even started yet because I know the game's no. count so far. They need to actually win the thing for this to to really ring true. But like... The reason I love the Captain America nickname so much is because Steve Rogers, I mean, he he took some super serum. He, I'm not going to say he had no superpowers, but in comparison to many other superheroes, you might say that his superpowers were, were somewhat muted. Um, and yet, he is always the leader. People always look to him to, to you know, um, be the first one out of the gate and you know, be there and, and, and everybody kind of falls in line behind him. And that's why I think it's such a perfect nickname for Brunson. Is he the most talented basketball player? No. You know, is he the tallest guy, fastest guy? Can he jump the highest? No, no, no. But there is something about him that I think every Nick fan, if they're watching this year, it's funny, very briefly, I'm, so I'm, I'm out East. We, uh, we met up with a, some, uh, another family, their daughter goes to school with our daughter. And, uh, it was uh, your prototypical, the dad, prototypical casual Knicks fan. And he was saying to me, he's like, yeah, for basically since the 90s, at some point, like after, after the 90s, I, I kind of just tapped out and I stopped really paying close attention. And last year brought me back because of Brunson. And I wonder how many Knicks fans out there there are like that. And I think that all kind of wraps wrapped together is why it, it's so cool to see him uh in uh in FIBA for sure. Yeah. Every time he busts his butt, we can now call it America's ass. Which I think is great. That's to know that America's ass is <laughs> on the Knicks. It's fantastic. It's that's maybe that's the name for uh what Benji always highlights when he what when he like manipulates someone like going around a screen and, and he draws an offensive foul. Uh, maybe we'll re- just refer to that as America's ass uh, yeah. from now on. Um, and just very, very briefly on Hart, like, you know, I think like Gilbert Arenas, I think it was Gilbert Arenas, like made some comments like, yeah, some of these guys don't even start for their own team. I think it's the ultimate compliment that Josh Hart could not start for the Knicks and be on Team USA because it just goes to show that he is the definition of a player that could play on any team. 
You know, it's like, again, is he the most talented guy out there? Absolutely not. But um, the fact that they picked him and they spotlighted him as a guy, okay, one way or another, even if it's mostly on the practice court, he's going to be able to help this team. So I think that that's, um, that's really cool. And we'll see, we'll see what happens when the real games begin. I believe uh, they kick off on Thursday and, uh, and, and that's that. But today, today, we're going to talk about something else. Uh, at which I'm not going to turn it over to you. <laughs> sure. Well, listen, it's the summer, right? It is. Not a lot going on. So I have been kind of thinking over the last couple months and nothing's, again, really happening. But I figure, hey, I've had these kind of thoughts in the back of my mind. So might as well share them, discuss them with you, see where they're, where my thoughts are at afterwards, all of that. Um, and a lot of it, pretty much revolves around um, Emmanuel quickly. And, you know, I, I don't want to have a discussion about the contract situation, the exact dollar amount, all of that, because I don't think that's the best use of our time. But there are other factors involved that I do want to discuss. So um, as we begin, perfect. Uh, so, yeah, this is really going to be the abridged version of an IQ discussion. Um, I want to start off in a different direction. The first is really just talking about the the breakdown by position, right? So there's in the past thought of is Emmanuel quickly a point guard? Is he a combo guard? Is he too, you know, like what is he? And by cleaning the glasses definition, I mean, in the first two years, he was really a mixture of the two. He was um, both a point guard and a shooting guard. Uh, last year, he was much more in the shooting guard position, but a huge reason for that was Jalen Brunson uh, and also, to a lesser extent, Deuce McBride. Even though Deuce McBride really doesn't play point guard a ton, uh, they still kind of feature him as the number one in that uh, mindset. All this to say, I think that without a the presence of a starting caliber point guard, you know, quickly can really do whatever. But also with Jalen Brunson in the fold, there has the impact of quickly at the two. Um, but it doesn't really matter because as long as you can play the two together and you absolutely can, then it should be fine. But the question, of course, comes into sort of how he is viewed because he's just a ball player. But if he's viewed as more of a guard, as like a lead guard versus maybe an off ball guard that might have an impact in terms of how the Knicks plan accordingly. Um, before I continue, John, I want to turn it over to you. Any pressing right. thoughts? The only one is something I've shared. Me and Andrew talk about this a lot online and actually more offline. This is the one thing that we seem to always get into it uh, with each other. Just like when we're shooting the shit via text, because to his credit, much like a lot of quickly fans, I think Andrew Claudio is uh, who, who's producing this episode, I should say, and is listening to every word I'm saying um, is like an ardent quickly supporter and believes in quickly ceiling. And like you just kind of implied, doesn't believe that there's any ceiling on his, um, his, his positional flexibility. Like just because you have a point guard doesn't mean that Emmanuel quickly still can't play, um, <laughs> uh, you know, many, many minutes a game. The one thing I like, I want to jump in here and just say kind of as a devil's advocate and kind of as like, I, I, I think it, it's a very valid point is for as great as quickly is in terms of his off ball defense. And he is great. Might be the best off ball defender at the guard position in all of basketball that has immense value. I still think that there is a discussion point 
to be had. And we don't need to have it on this episode. I don't know if we need to get this deep into the weeds, but when, you know, playoff basketball is about it's, it's, it's mismatch hunting, you know, and it's how many guys can we get into mismatches and really take advantage of, and it's usually, well, it's one of it's, it's the two extremes, right? It's let me pull your slow lumbering center into a high pick and roll and, and blow by them or at the other extreme. And this is the more common one. Let me pull your small guard into the play on my big wing or like my big guard or whatever the case may be. And for as great as quickly is as an off ball defender, I do think there are some limitations in terms of how much you can play him and Brunson together in the playoffs because he is still, you know, a smaller guard. And like we saw Kyle Lowry take him into the post, you know, a few times over the playoffs and like you say, okay, well, it was like three or four times in the Miami series. And from that, you're going to draw the the conclusion that, well, I don't know if the, if the right matchup ever came along that was really there to truly exploit quickly and Brunson together. And also they didn't play together that much in the playoffs, which is perhaps Tibbs saying, "I, I don't want to exploit that. I've already spoken for too long about this. I just, I, I feel like it is a discussion that is worth having when we get to the point of like, how wise is it to to think that you can build fruitfully around these two players if your goal is to win a championship, which notably is different from winning a whole lot of regular season games, which I would completely agree. Emmanuel quickly could help any team. Totally about. No, I, I, I get that. Um, so, I mean, we could talk about why Emmanuel quickly isn't starting, especially since he is capable of the two. Uh, number one, he runs the second unit. That should be pretty much where we stop with a lot of this conversation, but that's what he is tasked with without him. There's, you know, like if you swapped him and Grimes, there wouldn't really be anyone who could capably do exactly what Emmanuel quickly can do. Um, But again, the Knicks also like more off ball, higher catch and shoot players who can play at the two, Um, you know, quickly did a very good job of that this past season where he was one of the better, he was in the top 100 of catch and shoot players who took uh, at least a hundred catch and shoot threes. I believe he was 82nd, um, but that's, you know, lower on the list than say Grimes or uh DiVincenzo, for example. So like, and yes, Fournier certainly is an option in terms of like he, but he's more the, um, the exception than the rule because they wanted more pull up abilities as opposed to just spot up shooting. But, Fournier has now been phased out of the lineup and it seems that the Knicks kind of want something different. Um, and again, it's not necessarily how you start. It's <laughs> how you finish. Emmanuel quickly has been finishing games, at least in the regular season, he was finishing games consistently and he was almost always on the court when the games were close. So it's again, the Knicks look at him as someone who can still help them. It's just not in terms of starting yeah. anything before I continue. No, yeah, no, no. So, I want to frame a lot of this, not a lot of it, but some of this conversation in the lens of with OG and Anobi because it's kind of just the elephant in the room situation. And there, there are two deadlines. And I'd like for people who maybe are a little unclear to think of them as solar eclipses, right? So there's the first solar eclipse, which is the rookie extension deadline, which is in October. Right, it, there's it's right before the season, and at that point, and John, you wrote two really great newsletters about this. Um, when you know, if it quickly agrees to an extension, the door for something like an Ananobi trade slams shut. It makes it nearly impossible to get salaries to match, and all of that. Um, but if quickly doesn't agree to an extension with the Knicks and decides to play in the following season with restricted free agency, then there's a second solar eclipse, so to speak, which is the trade deadline. And then at that point, 
you get into, okay, well, quickly can't agree to an extension in season because the deadline passed before the year. And Ananobi is actually eligible to agree to an extension with the Raptors whenever, but the window to trade one for the other would pass. And now, again, the Knicks don't have to move quickly for Ananobi. They don't have to get Ananobi. They don't have to move quickly, period. But if they wanted to swap out, say, guard play for wing play, then this would certainly be the type of option. And we know from, I mean, Fred Katz all but reported that quickly was involved in trades for premier players, which I would imagine Trade in this talks, case yeah. is like, right, uh, a Paul George type player. We know that quickly was included in the Donovan Mitchell trade. So it, it's not like quickly has not been used in trade talks, which makes sense. He's a really good player. If you want to acquire really good talent, you have to give something up. And the Knicks happen to have the ability to create a better point guard situation in the future with some of their depth that they have maybe overseas, like Rokas Jokobaitis or potentially in the draft. Um, but before we get there, I just I want to hit pause on something and I want to turn it to you and ask you a question. Sure. There, there have been a number of trades, trade talks, all these different things that have happened in this offseason and even slightly before, I guess, before July 1st. But there's one thing that that's kind of stuck out for me. Would you like to take a guess as to what that would be? Is it the absence of something or is it something that has been discussed that just stood out to you? Something that has been discussed that stood out to me. In terms of trade stuff. Mm-hmm. Just because your mind is like a labyrinth that puts the movie labyrinth to shame, I'm not even going to wager a guess. And I just want you to tell me. Okay. It's not as complicated as you might think, but I will say this. When the Knicks tried to, it was leaked that the Knicks were looking to make the move with the Pacers and the Suns. And it would have been Evan Fournier going to the Pacers, TJ McConnell going to the Suns, Cameron Payne uh, going to the Knicks. The Knicks create a traded player exception that's large enough for a player like OG Ananobi, and the Pacers also would get draft compensation. When it happened, a lot of us, myself included, were just kind of honing in on the Fournier and the trade player exception part. And the Cameron Payne part was really just an afterthought. It was more like, look, you need the salary to make this work. He slides right into the OB traded player exception, and, and that could work. And I don't think that one this one move would have been then contingent upon something else happening. Because look, the Knicks could have very easily said, we like the idea of having a third point guard in the roster. Like They went into last season with Brunson starting and they had Emmanuel quickly and they started giving Derrick Rose fewer minutes, but still minutes nonetheless. So that's where Cameron Payne could fit in. But I just got to thinking this summer and maybe it's just because there's simply too much time on my hands and I'll, fill, I'll fully acknowledge that. But, but it was a thought nonetheless, I thought potentially worth exploring, which was... We've talked about in the past where moving quickly, you need to have some sort of insurance. You need to have someone who can run the backup point guard spot because it's not Deuce McBride because it's just not how he's used. And maybe he could get there, but it's it's kind of a leap of faith for the Knicks to do that. And the Knicks always go from depth, but the Knicks are now bringing someone into the fold where I don't want to say that Cameron Payne would have needed minutes, but... They've liked him for two years. They were very interested in him in the 2021 offseason. That's correct. Widely reported. So to me, the idea that they would have brought in Cameron Payne for just 
because of an insurance option and nothing else really follows, especially when he's in a contract year. It just, it has not sat right with me. And granted, Cameron Payne is not a New York Nick. He went to the Spurs for, I mean, the Spurs acquired a second round pick just to take on his money. But the Spurs also don't necessarily need him. You know, like they've got mm. Jones and they have Devontae Graham once he's back from his uh, DUI suspension that's only a few games long. Like they're pretty much settled. So to have Cameron Payne in the fold, it feels like they could say, look, we could flip him for another second round pick, like a protected one. And just, I just, so I haven't just felt, I just haven't felt good about sure. this. From, from the perspective of, I, I love Emmanuel quickly on this team and, and, could that one move be the impetus for the Knicks feeling comfortable to then move him in another deal? I just want to, the only thing I'll say is like for anybody listening, be like, did Jeremy just say that he likes Cameron Payne better than Deuce with pride? No, that's actually precisely not what you're saying. Deuce with pride is a long-term prospect. I mean, he's entering his third year. He was a second round pick. These guys take time to develop. I think if the Knicks who are a team that I think could probably talk themselves into at the very least, making a run to like the Eastern conference finals, if Jalen Brunson, not going what he stays healthy, but if God forbid he was to go out for a couple of weeks or something, um, to ask, as you just kind of said, to ask Deuce Pride to step into the starting point guard role, um, that would be a lot. Um, I I know where you, obviously I know where you're going with this, and we're we're talking about a future world that potentially does not include Emmanuel quickly. That's part of the value that quickly has, and I think in that situation. Pain. I could see a situation. I could see Deuce McBride outplaying Pain in terms of minutes during during some fantasy stretch that we're imagining where Brunson's out and the quickly's not on the team. But to still have the security blanket of a guy who's made a deep playoff run, who could hit an outside shot pretty reliably, but knows how to run an NBA offense. Like I, I see where you're going with it. That's all I wanted to just back you up on that before anybody came after you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really just contingency. I mean, just to, to continue, I mean, like the pros and cons of Cameron Payne. Um, he's really good in the half court and transition as well. Grades out very well there. His pull-up shooting is pretty good. He can create shots quite well. He's a good playmaker. He's a good scorer. Uh, and the floater is fantastic. The cons. Love their, I mean, their floaters. They do. They really do, especially from their guards. Uh, and the yeah. cons. I mean, he's an inefficient player. Very much so. He does not really finish well at all. Not a good spot up shooter. Isolation, he just can't. He's not capable of doing that. Rebounding, that's not one of his strengths. Obviously, on the offensive glass, that is very much what quickly can do. Uh, campaign's a point guard. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of versatility like in the way that we saw with Emmanuel quickly. And health. You know, quickly has been very healthy outside of the injury that he sustained in the playoffs. Um, Cameron Payne has battled a lot of injuries and just kind of looking at them head to head, this is courtesy of uh, B-Ball Index. You know, like when you look, if you're watching, if you look at the numbers, it's very clearly that quickly is a better player. And it's oh, not it's, at all about, hey, <laughs> right. It's not about, is Cameron Payne a better player yeah. than Emmanuel quickly? It's not that. No, the question here comes into play of, do the Knicks foresee or a world in which OG Ananobi and Cameron Payne is better yeah. than having Emmanuel quickly for next year's team, right? And obviously there'd be draft pick compensation that has to go to say Toronto in this case, but it's not so much about that. It's, it's just focusing on this team and the assets that they would have at their disposal. This is a use of resources question. How much of your, re when you're a team with, with limited resources as every NBA team for the most part is, do you, how much, how much 
credence do you give or how much forethought do you give to the to the to the what if situation the what if quickly or the what if Brunson goes down situation again neither of us are sitting here saying that is only that Emmanuel quickly is only value but it is a part of the composition here and we'll I'll save other thoughts for later but just for anybody who may be wondering like why are you guys so always f- so freaking keyed in on OG and Obi of all players guys never made an all-star team guys never even averaged 20 points a game um I don't think he's averaged 20 a game maybe he has I don't know but like not a star player I just like read the landscape like the it's very clear which superstar the Knicks have their eye on it's been reported this week we don't dance around it like we know who that is and I'm sure they'll keep an eye on Giannis and anybody else who maybe shakes free but they've had their opportunities to go kick the tires on different stars they have forecasted to the extent that a team that doesn't do press conferences can forecast we are not trading for one of these lesser stars we are waiting for the big gun so if you're thinking of like well what are the other ways that they could upgrade and we, we, we know the Knicks are always looking to upgrade like, I don't know if he's the guy. He's the one out there. He's the one out there who might be available, even though his GM seems to make it such that he's not. Um, and again, Fred Katz, you referenced Katz earlier. He's reported the Knicks made inquiries into veter- prime-aged veterans, and they were those inquiries included talks for potentially some of their young players. Uh, go look around the league. I've done it too many times to count that I'd like to admit. There are not a whole lot of prime-aged veterans who slot into the sub-star category that are the type of player that the Knicks with their with the age of their roster, so on and so forth, should be looking in the direction. Um, he's by far the most obvious one. So again, in case anybody's wondering why we're keying on that and Obi, like why do you guys have on front and Obi? That's why. Yeah, I, I really like him as a player. I think there's a lot of, not I shouldn't say a lot, but I think there's some offensive bloom on the Rose that has not been so uncovered too. in Toronto. But no, I, I mean, what you're saying, John, is completely apt to think that it's just like, well, the Knicks must have him. It's not really a must. Oh. It's just looking oh. at what we're like, what we're seeing and what goes about there. And go by yes, the reporting. I think, I think it's, the been whole, reported. It, it's been reported. And also, if you're looking at the Joel Embiid situation, which we know the Knicks will be monitoring, you have to think to yourself, OK, well, what is it going to take a year from now to get a player like him? And the thought process of, OK, is RJ Barrett going to be one of the players who is used to help you get Joel Embiid? Let's say he is. If that's the case, how are you potentially replacing RJ Barrett? You don't have cap space. You have fewer avenues. Like if you don't trade Emmanuel quickly, then are you using him on his new contract in order to upgrade at that position? And again, it's not going to be OG. And there aren't a ton of other players who can give you what OG can give you. Like Paul George, again, Knicks are afraid of the contract situation. He's probably going to opt out and sign a new contract. So he's all, he's out of play. So the last thing the Knicks want to do is get Joel Embiid into the door and then say, okay, how can we build around Joel Embiid? No, no, no. The answer, if you get Joel Embiid is we're ready and our team is completely set and we traded from depth and now we're in a really good spot and we can retain a lot of our depth and we can find ways to add to that as well, be it the draft um, or, you know, if there's a free agent signing, you know, for the trade, um, the tax mid-level or whatever it might be. But there are ways of going about it. But um, I mentioned just in terms of to shift it back to Cameron Payne. I said, if you're watching, this is what it, what it looks like. If you're not watching, essentially last season quickly shot more than, I mean, it, percentile wise, using a percentile two times higher than Cameron Payne for true shooting percentage. Again, the inefficiency is very different here, but both were excellent in terms of their overall shooting and pull up abilities. Uh, quickly was better off ball 
They both were pretty poor in terms of the rim shot creation. The finishing talent was around the same, but Payne was better. The floater, both elite at it. Both were very good. Quickly was better in terms of three-point shooting talent. Isolation quickly was phenomenal. He was 97.5% percentile. Campaign was not that. He was in the 32nd or 33rd percentile. And then offensive rebound and quickly has got pain beat by a lot. And he hasn't beat by a good amount on the defensive end. So once again, it is not, is pain better than quickly? It's would you quit using quickly to get a player like Ananobi and replacing him with pain be an option that can work for the Knicks. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So just, again, very quickly want to run through some of the other stats. The next good old EPM. EPM, yep. Uh, As we can see here, for Cameron Payne, you know, the these are the last three seasons for each, and quickly's only played three seasons anyway. Cameron Payne really saw his renaissance in the bubble, came back with the Suns. His first year, first, you know, that COVID year was fantastic with them. 88th percentile on offense, 74th percentile on defense. Year after You're that, paid. <laughs> it did get him paid, yes. Um, year after that, stumbled a little bit on the offensive end, went down to the 57th percentile, but defensively stayed at 72nd. And this past season, the offense went back up and the defense went down. Offense was 73rd percentile. Defense was 43rd percentile. We talked about in the Archetype podcast how the Knicks really want players who are 75th percentile uh, on either the offensive side or the defensive side. And Payne is really knocking on the door for the last three seasons on, in one of those. Again, the offense and the defense have fluctuated, but he's right there in terms of a lot of what the Knicks want. And I mean, with Quickly, he's just been phenomenal out the gate, you know, he was 88th percentile his rookie year on offense, 42nd on defense. Well, 
86 percentile on offense and 81st percentile the next year. And this past season, 78th percentile on offense and 93rd percentile on defense. He's a fantastic player. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just a matter of do they want that type of talent packaged in a different position? Um, and then last thing with Payne and, and IQ, if you look at the on-off stats from cleaning the glass that Cameron Payne has, the offensive side, you know, the COVID year, 2020, 2021, and this past season, both phenomenal offensively. Um, the in-between year, not as good offensively. He was 16th percentile in points per possession. But then it flipped from offense to defense, where the offense for both the the, you know, the COVID year and the 2022-23 year were not great, 34th percentile. But the middle year was 74th percentile. Whereas quickly has just been... Oh, lights out. Lights out across the board. Yeah. I mean, his offense dropped a bit this past season where it was 29th percentile from points per possession, which is very surprising considering the year before that, it was 89th. year before that, it was 84th. And the defense, I mean, it just gets better and better. 82nd, I- 91st, and 99th percentile going up. So... The talent is there. So if we wanted to find a way where, okay, the Knicks are looking at this and they're saying, we're trading someone who's really good for someone who's really good at a different possession position, excuse me, and the Cameron Payne focus of this, how can we find something that just kind of checks off a lot of the boxes? Should Toronto finally, and I mean finally, be comfortable moving off from OG Ananobi and by extension, probably Pascal Siakam. And the one thing I say before I get to that, it would not surprise me if the Knicks used Emmanuel quickly for OG Ananobi in the same way they used RJ Barrett with Donovan Mitchell, which was, look, we're tired of having these conversations. So instead of us dragging this out, we're setting up an ultimatum. Either we make this move and we include RJ Barrett or we ink him to a new deal and then we either find a way around it or another offer comes into play. And of course, the Knicks signed RJ Barrett, the Jazz didn't bluff and the Cavs went on and uh, traded for Donovan Mitchell. But this at least would set up some sort of deadline because the Knicks don't like going into a new season where it's like we, we don't have as many options. And now quickly is disgruntled because we didn't pay him and all these various factors. Does that seem like a fair potential prediction? I'm not going to put a percentage chance on it because like, I think there is a very, 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 very slim chance. I really want to say no chance, but you never know that Emmanuel, the Knicks, that Emmanuel quickly is a on the Knicks roster going into the season and B not signed to an extension. If he, if if he's, if he's signed to it, he'll either be uh, signed to an extension if he's here or he's not going to be here. Um, that that is that is my and just on the larger point that we've again I, we haven't necessarily come out and said it. I think this is your this entire discussion is basically suggesting, and I co-sign this one hundred percent. Is that if the Knicks had their druthers, they would flip quickly, maybe with like some of the protected picks for player X. And again, Ananobi is the most obvious name. If you out there listening or watching have another name that slots into player X, feel free to insert that name instead. I just can't seem to find one. I don't think Jeremy has found as good a one either. And then RJ and for Embiid, it would be Mitch, um, but like some other salary and then all the picks, all the rest of the picks. That's 
the star package. I think if they had their druthers, that's how this thing goes over the next, uh, whatever, 10, 11, 12 months. Uh, but yeah, that's it. No, it's fair. And like I've, I spent a lot of time trying to identify another target if it weren't to be someone they're, like, oh, they're not out there, dude. <laughs> that's, and that's the issue, right? Like again, I, I know that with say like EPM, the reason I go to that is because it tells a great story in terms of what the Knicks seem to like. And maybe it's the sort of thing where they don't, that's not their go-to type of database, but it's, it's a very useful one that front offices do use. Mm. And you're able to identify, okay, well, these all track, this lines up with that. And it, it makes sense there. And when I try to do the same thing with the criteria and looking back in the last three to four seasons of players that were, you know, really great defensively and um, at least okay on offense. And there's a decent volume of threes that are taken and that they hit. The list is really slim. And then when you say, okay, well, what happens if they were to look for players who are a little bit younger, who aren't say 33 years old, like Mm. Paul George, the list gets even smaller. And it's harder to find people who are able to be on that list multiple seasons in a row. And that's exactly what OG Ananobi does is seemingly every year he fits the criteria of what they look for, which is why, again, John and I get hung up on this type of player because the Knicks seem to get hung up on this type of player because that's just what they like. And there aren't a ton of options out there. So this would be my solution. If you were to go about, okay, Masai Ujiri is finally willing to make something happen and you want to get Emmanuel quickly use him as a trade ship, but you also want to get Cameron Payne is this type of move where the Knicks would be getting OG Ananobi and Cameron Payne. The Raptors would be getting Doug McDermott, Emmanuel quickly. And in this case, it would be the Mavericks first round pick. And, uh, the Spurs would be getting Evan Fournier and then a likely protected second round pick from the Raptors because the <laughs> Knicks, of course, are still giving up a first round pick here. There's you give up a very highly protected second round pick if you're Toronto. And the, the reason for going through this again. OK, so the Knicks have their cake and eat it, too, in terms of the they they do improve the roster and they have some depth at the one. Uh, the Raptors save seven hundred twenty one thousand dollars. They get the standard type of package that you would be getting for a really good veteran, which would be expiring salary of a veteran. You'd be a young player on a rookie contract and it would be a future first round pick or a first round pick. And then the Spurs save $1.3 million. They finally get Evan Fournier where he wants to go. The French connection with Wembanyama. And even if they didn't get a second round pick out of this, they'd essentially be turning cap space and Doug McDermott into, um, you know, salary filler and two second round picks, which is a pretty good deal because they don't do very much in this type of move. Um, yeah. And they get a, they do get a better player in Evan Fournier than who Doug McDermott is. So this is kind of the three team deal where if you had to work out the pieces to get everyone going, because I thought about, look, you could just do OG Ananobi and uh, yeah. for quickly and Fournier and a pick and make it easy and then just absorb Cameron Payne. But I don't know there's something cleaner about this than if you'd gone about it, doing two separate transactions, you make Fournier happy going where he goes. And more importantly, potentially the Raptors wouldn't save money in that situation. They would actually be taking on more money by acquiring Fournier and quickly and sending out Ananobi. So, um, 
just kind of where my head is at. I'll turn it to you to get your thoughts. The fascinating part of this uh, is, of course, that the Spurs own the Raptors first round draft pick top six protected the next two years. So the notion that the Spurs and Raptors are doing a trade, does it make the Raptors a little bit better? Does it make the Raptors a little bit worse? They probably make arguments for both sides and like the Spurs own, own their pick. I'm sh- I have to think the Raptors would love to have that pick back. I'm not sure that there's a realistic way for them to get that pick back in this trade. Uh, I This feels a little light for Toronto to get quickly and the Dallas pick for Ananobi. I would guess it would take at least another one of the protected picks, but I could be wrong. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, the, the thinking again, the suitors that are out there as well for Ananobi, like I look at the Grizzlies, they're not sure. sure. Yeah. But the Grizzlies also just gave Bain a max contract. They've got jaw on a max contract. They just acquired Marcus smart. They're paying Jaron Jackson jr. Before you know it, their payroll is likely to be close to $190 million for not this season, but the season after that. And that means they'd be deep into the, the luxury tax. And even if they swapped Kennard out and had, um, you know, and it going in, add an extra 15 million. Cause Kennard would be $15 million. Yeah. And Obi, let's say he's making 30. You're still talking about them making that 205. At least. Third. Right, like, and that's, I, I think I think that's light for Ananobi. What his next contract is going to be? Sure, no, I I completely get it. And look, if it took say the Wizards first to add into that, but I I just I struggle to see a team that is offering a really good young player, well, and multiple first round picks, protected or not, because again, I think we we can both say last year we thought that the Mavs pick was certainly going to convey, and it didn't. But the Mavs yeah. got better as a team and they tanked for that. And I don't see them by any stretch looking to miss the playoffs this year after last year happened. Yeah, I think it's tough because, the again, the Mavs pick, you just kind of hit on it. It's such a it's an asset with a lot of variants. You know, the top 10 protections obviously don't aren't great. Um, I guess for, for me, it's two things. One, this trade treats Emmanuel quickly like a really premium young player. And again, I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people listening to this when I say this. I just don't think he's at that level. I think he, if we're grading young players on a scale of like 1 to 10, with 10 being like Wembenyama this year and like 0 being, uh, I, I don't know, some undrafted player that you're never going to hear a, a, about, you know, it, this trade, I don't know if it puts quickly at like a 7, but I think he's more of a 6. I basically think he's one level down from whatever his grade would be for this trade to, to happen. And the other part of it is, and this is the real tough part, anytime you talk about NNOB, I don't know that we're dealing with a rational actor here in, in Masai Ujiri, and we don't need to go down that road, but like this is a man who just lets talent walk out the door because, and I think Fred said this on the pod at some point over the last several months, Masai is the type of guy where it's like he's, he has a price. He'll tell the team, this is the price. This is what this guy's going to cost. Yeah. And there's no negotiation. He's like, you either meet the, pr- the price or there was, there's no more talk after that. And if that's what he's doing with Anobi, and we don't necessarily know that that is what he's doing with Anobi, but if it is, if he, you know, he, maybe it would be reasonable for him to take this deal, but maybe he just has a price in his head. And if the price isn't met, he's going to take it into unrestricted free agency and maybe lose Ananobi for nothing like he lost Van Fleet and, and, and several other guys. So, yeah, that's the tough part about all this. Sure. I think a big chunk of this comes down to because you and I see quickly somewhat differently 
we in do. terms of like what, like what his capacity is. If he goes to Toronto, and I get it, it's the player he'd be playing ahead of would be would be Dennis Schroeder, but like he is he's a starting point guard. And I think in other situations too, if he weren't blocked by Brunson and the Knicks didn't have their pick of let's have more of an off-ball player next to him in the backcourt, quickly would be starting, but that's not where he is. And again, he's finishing games. That's what's most important. But you might be right. But I, I guess my my mindset here is I don't want to look at this Mavs pick as just like, oh, well, it's you know, late twenties, so it's not gonna matter. Like they, we went into last season with another expectation, and it turned out that the pick was was if they had actually acted like a rational actor and tried I, to win, probably hovering around 14th or 15th. It was a pick that was going to be the 11th pick in the draft until the Mavs did something that right. was sanctionable by the league. <laughs> sure. I'm saying if they hadn't started losing. Yeah, and then exactly. It, you know, kicked off the chain of events. So no, it would have, it would have been great. Anyway. I, I guess my, my whole philosophy is I know that OG Ananobi is someone that the Knicks really could use from an archetype standpoint, but if it costs that much more than quickly and a first round pick, especially considering how the Raptors don't even have a first round pick most likely in next year's draft, unless they lose enough games and having OG doesn't exactly help them lose games unless he's hurt, which happens, but still his impact will be there. I just, it's a sort of thing where why would you not want a pick in the draft? If you're, but again, a lot of it depends on what they're doing with Siakam. Maybe they're waiting on the Hawks to yeah. up the ante and they're, they feel comfortable about a deal with the Knicks before that. Maybe they're not close on either. Maybe it's the other way around. I have no idea, but I think a lot of this just comes down to how you evaluate Emmanuel quickly, how you evaluate the first round pick um, and going in that direction. Yeah. I, I, I think we could look, we could agree slightly on quickly. I here's my, here's my problem. I don't think about him from the perspective of what would he look like as a starting point guard in a different team. And I, you, you are correct to look at him from that perspective, especially when we're talking about, I trades that sent him to another team, which he would be the starting point guard. Um, and he'd be really, really, really good. And he'd probably look even better than he, he does here. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I love the I love the architecture of this, yeah. And I just wonder, like, look, uh, Toronto. We, we entered the offseason with Toronto, look, uh, maybe being the biggest question mark in the league, and it's the late August, and they're still the biggest question mark in the league. No, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Yeah. So, all right, let me uh, let's bring us home. Uh, just very quickly, the other thing in terms of all right, let's say you didn't want to see Emmanuel quickly be moved and just keep him, which the Knicks could absolutely do. And as a quickly fan, I'd be more than okay with that. But let's look around the league. How many teams have their starting point guard and a lead guard off the bench who are each earning $17 million or more per year? Reason I have 17. This is great. I, originally I had 18, but that would have just missed Derek White with the Celtics. So that's fine. I'll drop it to 17. Uh, so yeah, the Celtics, Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon. Well, Brogdon was almost traded. They moved off of um, Marcus Smart's contract because they wanted to get some positional versatility as a big man. They got Chris Porzingis. The Brooklyn Nets, they have Spencer Dinwiddie. He's an expiring contract. And Ben Simmons, who I guess if you consider him a point guard, is, I mean, I, you know, he doesn't even play much anyway, so he's kind of just whatever. Uh, and then the Golden State Warriors. They took Jordan Poole's contract and turned it into Chris Paul and his expiring deal. If you gave truth serum to all three of these franchises <laughs> and it. asked, would you be cool if the player that you had on a large contract coming off the bench weren't on your team anymore? 
the contract could just be completely vanished. You could amnesty it with nothing, no ifs, ands, or buts. Would you do it? All three of these franchises would likely say yes. The one question being the Celtics, because they don't have anyone really backing them up, but Brogdon is hurt and that contract is really not even that movable, especially not now. And that's not to say that Emmanuel quickly would follow in these footsteps in the same way, right? Quickly is a lot younger. He's a lot healthier, different circumstances, but it just goes to show that the NBA doesn't necessarily build their team in this way of we're paying a guard a lot of money and the guard who's behind him is also making a lot of money. It just doesn't happen that frequently. So, Current situation financially, uh, the Knicks are about $4.6 million below the luxury tax. Totally fine. 2024, if they gave Emmanuel quickly $18 million, they'd be $10 million below the luxury tax before factoring in first round picks and any potential superstar trades or any other additions. If you had Ananobi and Cameron Payne coming in and quickly and Fournier out, the Knicks would be a little bit closer to the tax line, $2.5 million, but they would be still very comfortably below it. The following year, 2024-25, they would have a lot of flexibility. If they kept the cap holds of Hartenstein and Payne and Ananobi, they'd be at around $10 million over the luxury tax. Again, if they're fine paying the tax, that's great. You know, uh, Ananobi's cap holds around 30 or 28 million. He wants to make a little over 30. There's a potential that Cameron Payne doesn't even come back if they wanted to have Rokas for a lot cheaper at that position. So there's flexibility here. But you might be saying, okay, well, what if the Knicks, instead of quickly used Grimes, right? Why does it have to be quickly? It doesn't. But here's the factor. If they had Ananobi in and they had Grimes and Fournier out and there's no need for Cameron Payne necessarily because they have Emmanuel quickly still there. They'd have a little bit more room under the luxury tax where if they wanted Cameron Payne still, they could absorb him and be under the luxury tax this year. Totally fine. But the following year, the 2024-25 season is where things would start to get dicey because you're paying quickly, let's say $18 million as a starting salary. That would probably be an $80 million contract, which might even still be low. Um, And you've got Ananobi's salary on the books and you still have Hartenstein and his cap hold. And again, you could always waive him, but uh, now a lot of suitable backup five options that you can get who are as good as him and fit what the Knicks want. You're looking at that situation before first round picks for any superstar trade that might be involved. And the Knicks are already 13, really almost $13.5 million above the luxury tax. And the second tax apron thing, all that, I mean, it's 17 and a half million above the tax line. So the Knicks are really close to the super tax level. If they keep quickly uh, in any Ananobi trade and move Grimes out there, which again, if they feel like spending money, totally fine, but there are limitations that come with it. And teams are kind of trying to get out of the super tax. It's a hard, it's not a hard cap, but it's viewed as such for a lot of teams that might not really want to spend it. So financially speaking, if you're the Knicks and you want to have your cake and eat it too, quickly salary is kind of becoming, uh, you know, the fly in the ointment so to speak, if you go this route. And the Knicks don't have to, but that's... I just want fans to be aware if you went about it that way and kept quickly and still went in an OB, there are some slight salary issues. Um, And just to wrap it up, before I turn it back over to you, John, yeah, quickly can still extend with the Knicks. I I think that would be fantastic. I'd love for that to happen, even still. Pain, you can bring him in. You don't have to bring him in. It doesn't really matter. They don't have to have a connection between the two. 
IQ wanting to start is not a reason to trade him. I see it online a lot. You don't trade a player because they want to start. No, you you trade that player when they are best used for your personal or professional game. Um, you don't do a, a service to quickly if it works out, which I imagine it would in any trade, then it works out. But you don't do it for that reason. Um, we said, you know, New York likes the cake and, and eating it too in terms of depth and adding talent, taking a player that's out of the rela- uh, rotation, turning them into a player that's into the rotation. Uh, having pain in the fold if you move quickly would essentially be a repeal and replace, uh, unlike the uh, healthcare plan that the um, Republicans decided to put forth where it was like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get rid of it and we'll figure it out later. That's not what the Knicks do. The Knicks say, no, no we know what we need to solve. We're going to do it this way and we have to do it because we want to cover all our bases. And once again, this was never about as quickly better than paying. He is case closed. It's turning your value as a team of quickly and any draft equity that it might take to get Ananobi and also bring in Payne to have a well-rounded team that you feel can really start winning you even more games than the, what, 47 that the Knicks won last season? Yeah. Um, There you go. Yeah, no, it's about graduating to the next level and, you know, reaching your your ideal roster finish line, so to speak, which is what this is all geared towards. The only other thing I want to say in regards to that slide where you had, uh, you know, uh, three and really if those teams had their druthers, zero uh, backup point guards or whatever, first guard off the bench, you know, making over 17 million. Um, I'm sure a lot of people looked at that and be like, well, it's not. Quickly's fault that he should be starting. He's good enough to start. He's one of the easily one of the next three best players or four best players. Um, so that's an unfair metric. Well, sure, but then you look around the league and be like, okay, how many teams have two small guards starting um, together in the same backcourt? And I can only think of one, and it's Cleveland. And there are some real question marks about whether that is sustainable long term. And you could, uh, you may be of the belief that. Emmanuel Quickly and Jalen Brunson are a better uh, offensive pairing uh, and certainly are a better defensive pairing uh, than, than Garland and Mitchell. I think that's um, that's be an interesting debate. Not one we're going to have today, but like just traditionally throughout all of NBA history, teams generally don't, in absent exigent circumstances, you know, uh, like a small guard who is just a dynamo defensively, teams don't generally. On and off ball, I should say. Teams don't generally build around two small guards or have two small guards taking up a majority of their spending power, regardless of when the cap was thirty million or you know when it's going to be three hundred million in, in you know ten years or whatever it is. So um, yeah, I, I, I look. We share a lot of the same thoughts on this, even if our our evaluation of quickly may be slightly different. Um, and I think it just comes down to not what the Knicks want. I think we have an idea of what the Knicks want. Now it's a matter of do they have someone to dance with? And, you know, we'll see. Season doesn't start for almost two months. So there's time. Yep. Um, good stuff. We came in right under the gun because I got to get out of here. Uh, Jeremy, anything else before we get out uh, before we leave? That'll be all. Thanks, people, for uh, indulging just some thoughts, stream of consciousness as we get through the uh, dog days of summer. Come on. Who else is providing you with this level of analysis in late August on an NBA no podcast about one no team? One. <laughs> um, no one. That's the answer. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Behind the scenes on the ones and twos. 
Uh, Andrew, if uh, I have to say anything uh, that I'm forgetting in the next uh, 15 seconds, let me know. Otherwise, I will thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. I've teased it a few times now. We have a uh, pretty major NBA media person coming on the pod this week to discuss many different topics. And uh, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, you know, more fun and games like usual coming your way as we continue along um, this summer. Till then, peace out.